Welcome back to Poirier, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Residency Program. I'm Bree C. here with Joe Offenbacher. Hey Bree, any particularly interesting cases lately, plus minus COVID? Well, in the past week, I've had two cases that made me think a refresher on anticoagulation reversal would be particularly helpful. Only one of them actually happened to have COVID. So what happened? The first one was an unstable massive hemoptysis on aspirin and Plavix, and the other was an atraumatic intracranial hemorrhage with AFib on warfarin. Gotcha. So besides all the usual EM management for hemoptysis and intracranial bleeding, you had to also decide if anticoagulation reversal was indicated, and then how to even do it. Exactly. So let's go over the mechanisms of the main anticoagulation agents we see and how best to manage reversal in bleeding. Let's do it. But this is a huge topic, so maybe let's just focus on true anticoagulants and save antiplatelets along with antiplatelet orders for another day. Deal. I think it's really important to understand the basics of this, so let's go all the way back to the beginning for a refresher on everyone's favorite topic from med school, the coagulation cascade. This is one area where foundations are key. So we'll start with the physiology of coagulation, progress to the anticoagulation agents themselves, continue with our reversal agents, and then finish off with a few different clinical scenarios. Sounds like a plan. It's definitely helpful to understand the mechanism of action of these agents in order to figure out how to reverse them. Agreed. First off, let's define coagulation and then review the coagulation cascade. Okay, so the body addresses bleeding through two interrelated mechanisms, primary hemostasis and coagulation. Primary hemostasis deals with the formation of an initial platelet plug in acute bleeding. This is then followed by coagulation, a complex process by which soluble fibrinogen is converted into strands of insoluble fibrin. Wow, that sounds complicated. Well, it is and it isn't. Yes, the underlying mechanisms are indeed complicated, but if you can keep the map of the coagulation cascade straight, it simplifies understanding the clinical management. Okay, so once we get past the primary platelet plug, we move on to the coagulation cascade. The cascade has two interrelated pathways, the intrinsic and extrinsic. That is definitely tickling my med school brain, but yes. Both pathways involve a bunch of steps that lead to the ultimate goal that you just mentioned. Right. The conversion of fibrinogen, a.k.a. factor 1, into fibrin, a.k.a. factor 1a. Fibrinogen is a soluble complex, and fibrin is the foundational unit of a clot. Exactly. This is the last step in the cascade, and once you have that straight, all you have to do is roll back the steps to see how anticoagulation impacts each step along the process. We're going to do a little bit of repeating, and I am going to say it one more time. The ultimate goal is converting fibrinogen, factor 1, into fibrin, factor 1a. So that doesn't sound too bad at all now. The next big thing to remember is that the main factor needed to convert fibrinogen to fibrin is called thrombin, a.k.a. factor 2a, which is derived from prothrombin, a.k.a. factor 2. Okay, so the cascade wants to convert prothrombin factor 2 to thrombin, factor 2a, so that this thrombin can then convert fibrinogen, factor 1, to fibrin, factor 1a, for that stable clot. Perfect. Now one last big point. The main step in converting prothrombin to thrombin relies on a series of factors, 
the most important of which is called 10a. Altogether, going from factor 10 to factor 2a is often referred to as the common coagulation pathway, and it makes up the heart of the coagulation cascade. Got it. Factor 10 needs to get to 2a, thrombin, so that 2a can convert factor 1, fibrinogen, into factor 1a, fibrin. Bingo. Next, let's talk about the two pathways that feed into the common pathway, the intrinsic and extrinsic pathways. The intrinsic pathway takes us stepwise from factors 12 to 11 to 8 before feeding to the common pathway at factor 10. The extrinsic pathway leads from factor 3 to 8, which ultimately helps convert factor 10 to 10a in the common pathway. Okay, so let me see if I get this straight. First, once we get past platelet aggregation, the coagulation process takes over. Yep. We start with two interrelated pathways, the intrinsic pathway and the extrinsic pathway. Their factors eventually lead to the common pathway, with the primary factor converting 10 to 10a. Keep going. So the goal of the common pathway is to get us to 10a, which is the main step in converting prothrombin factor 2 to thrombin factor 2a. Because? Because thrombin is the main factor we need to convert fibrinogen into fibrin, which is the basis of a stable clot. Joe, you did it. Great review. And for our listeners, take a look at our show notes for a pictorial of the coagulation pathways. I find visualizing this super, super helpful, especially with all the different factors. Okay, so now that we have a good picture of the coagulation cascade, the rest should be really, really easy. Well, I wouldn't say really, really easy, but it's definitely easier now that we have a map. The next step is to identify the main parts of the cascade that our major classes of anticoagulation agents antagonize. Remember that there are two routes for these medications depending on agent class, oral and parenteral. Perfect. Starting with the top of the cascade is our oral vitamin K antagonist, a.k.a. warfarin. So vitamin K is a major precursor for several coagulation factors, including 2, 7, 9, and 10, as well as proteins C and S. Inhibiting vitamin K impacts points along the intrinsic, extrinsic, and common pathways as a result. Very true. Two big things to remember, though. Number one, due to its initial inhibition of protein C and S, Warfarin is actually prothrombotic at first, so it is not generally started as a single agent without some form of bridging. Protein C and S work together to prevent hypercoagulation, so inhibiting them would encourage coagulation. Number two, INR is regularly checked due to fluctuations in its therapeutic window, so warfarin is not an easy medication to maintain. INR goals range widely, depending on the indication for anticoagulation. Exactly. Continuing on with our oral agents, the next group are 10A inhibitors. You can always remember these because they include Zaban, X-A-B-A-N, in the name. For example, Apixaban and Rivaroxaban, among others. And rounding out our oral AC agents, we have direct 2A, or thrombin inhibitors. The most famous agent in this class is dabigatrin. Okay, now let's move on to our parenteral anticoagulation agents starting with our direct antithrombin-mediated 10A inhibitor, Fondaparinux. Antithrombin, as the name implies, inhibits several factors of both the intrinsic and extrinsic pathways. 
We also have indirect 10A and thrombin 2A inhibitors, which include heparin, unfractionated heparin, and anoxaparin, as well as some others. Okay, great, Joe. So I think we have the big anticoagulation agents down, and we can now place them on the cascade where they work. Oral anticoagulants include the vitamin K inhibitor warfarin, the 10A inhibitors, the Zabans, and the direct 2A inhibitors, like the Bigotran. The parenteral agents include our direct antithrombin-mediated 10A inhibitor, Fondaparinux, as well as our indirect 10A and 2A inhibitors, such as heparin and anoxaparin. So let's say we've got a bleed and need to reverse each of these agents. What are we going to do? So before discussing the reversal agents themselves, let's do a quick run-through of reversal indications. Great idea. Okay, so the most important thing to remember is that ultimately, there are many factors that go into deciding if AC reversal is even indicated. Of course, there are more straightforward cases, such as significant brain bleeds, life-threatening bleeds, etc. But in subacute cases, you have to consider why the patient is on anticoagulation to begin with in order to weigh the risks and benefits of reversing these agents. Like, is this patient on anticoagulation for AFib, or do they have a mechanical valve? Totally agree. A great review article at Annals in 2019 helped clarify some of these areas where emergent reversal is indicated and divided them into three main categories, life-threatening bleeding, bleeding at critical sites, and need for emergent surgery. We'll throw a link to that in the show notes. So life-threatening bleeding is defined as a drop of greater than or equal to 5 grams per deciliter in hemoglobin from a known premorbid value secondary to the bleeding plus a transfusion or uncontrolled bleeding requiring a procedure such as IR, endoscopy, or surgery, or hemodynamic instability necessitating vasoactivations. That makes sense. The second category is bleeding at critical sites. These include closed spaces with concern for compartment syndrome, the aorta, the airway, the pericardium, the spine, the eye with vision compromise, and of course the brain. But this doesn't include microbleeds or hemorrhagic transformations of strokes. And finally, there's reversal for an emergency surgery or other urgent procedure that has significant risk of life-threatening bleeding or bleeding at a critical site. These are for procedures that cannot be delayed beyond the anticoagulation's therapeutic effect window, which is often, but not always, greater than two half-lives. Okay, so life-threatening bleeds, bleeding at critical sites, and urgent procedures. But beware that warfarin has its own management algorithms as well, based on both bleeding and INR. It happens to be on the boards and it is an exam favorite. But in general, the first step is to ask, is the patient having life-threatening bleeding? Right. If the answer is yes, then INR does not matter and we reverse warfarin with 10 mg IV vitamin K, as well as weight-based dosing of 4-factor PCC, or FFP if needed. If there is no life-threatening bleeding, then we look at the INR. If it is above 10, then we hold warfarin and give 2.5 to 5 milligrams of oral vitamin K and reassess with frequent INR checks. If the INR is between 5 and 10, consider reversal with 2 to 4 milligrams of oral vitamin K. If the INR is super therapeutic but less than 5, consider no reversal and holding the upcoming AC dose with INR rechecks frequently. Gotcha. So what you're saying is, forget about INR level and life-threatening bleeding for warfarin reversal, but otherwise, tailor it to INR. Warfarin half-life is around 40 hours, so checking that INR frequently is key. 
So the most important factor in selecting a reversal agent is to consider the AC the patient is on. Starting at the top with warfarin, reversal includes vitamin K repletion as well as replacement of vitamin K dependent factors. Most commonly, this is done through giving prothrombin complex concentrate, also known as PCC. And just to review, PCC contains clotting factors 2, 9, and 10, as well as proteins C and S. Four-factor PCC, also known as Kcentra, contains factor 7 as well. FFP, or fresh frozen plasma, contains all the clotting proteins. It is type-specific, and AB is the universal donor. One unit of FFP corrects clotting factors by 2.5 to 5% in a 70-kilogram person. So that's why we usually start with four units of FFP to get to at least a 10% increase in clotting factor levels. Traditionally, FFP was considered a mainstay of treatment for warfarin reversal as well as others. It did, however, have two major issues. First, FFP requires very large volume infusions, which was often detrimental to patients. Second, unlike PCC, which is from pooled virus and activated plasma product, FFP is frozen human plasma and carries increased risks, such as disease transmission, anaphylactoid re reactions, alloimmunization, excessive intravascular volume, transfusion-related acute lung injury, and increased risk of infections. Lastly, PCC corrects INR much faster than FFP. FFP slowly drips in over hours, while PCC can go in over minutes. Sounds like PCC is a clear winner over FFP. In addition, most formularies of PCC now include at least four factors, so the shortcomings of previous three-factor formularies are less concerning. All in all, vitamin K with four-factor PCC is now considered to be the first-line therapy for warfarin reversal. FFP is second-line after four-factor PCC. Side note about FFP. I remember hearing that FFP's INR is 1.5. Factor fiction? Both. Different donors will have different clotting factor levels, so their plasma will have different INRs. Looking at the evidence, the lowest you will get an INR from FFP infusion alone is 1.6. Nice. Okay, so moving along to our oral 10A inhibitors, remember those Zabans, the current first-line reversal agent is Andexanat Alpha. Wow, that's some name. Yep. Put best by the New England Journal of Medicine in 2015, Andexanet is a recombinant modified human factor 10A decoy protein that is catalytically inactive, but that retains the ability to bind factor 10A inhibitors in the active site. It binds and sequesters factor 10A inhibitors within the vascular space, thereby restoring the activity of endogenous factor 10A and reducing levels of anticoagulant activity. It's dosed based on the home 10A inhibitor dose, and there are two dosage regimens to choose from, low-dose versus high-dose. They both involve an initial IV bolus followed by an infusion. If your shot does not have Indexanet, 50 international units per kilogram of four-factor PCC for potentially life-threatening bleeding would be your go-to. For our direct thrombin inhibitors, we have idarucizumab, brand name Praxabind, a humanized monoclonal antibody fragment that has been developed as a specific reversal agent for dabigatrin. Its mechanism is to directly and irreversibly bind to dabigatrin, making it inactive. It is just a single dose of 5 grams IV. If you don't have it, again, PCC is second line. Theoretically, dabigatrin can also be dialyzed since it's mostly renally cleared and has low protein binding. 
but hemodialysis is pretty time sensitive, which is not ideal in an exsanguinating patient. And inserting that hemodialysis line on the anticoagulated patient is not without significant risk. Fair point. Sounds like IV indexinet to reverse oral 10A inhibitors, IV idrucizumab to reverse direct thrombin inhibitors. PCC is second line for both. And one last point about reversing oral anticoagulation agents. If there is suspicion for overdose, consider activated charcoal if within a two-hour window. Fair point. So moving right along to our parenteral agents, first up, our direct antithrombin-mediated 10A inhibitor, also known as Fondaparinox. Four-factor PCC is first-line reversal with the intent of increasing factor 10. For reversal of indirect 10A and 2A inhibitors, which include heparin, unfractionated heparin, and anoxaparin, we use IV protamine sulfate, which binds to and inactivates heparin and heparin derivatives. Protamine sulfate is a little tricky to dose. It's dosed according to the amount of heparin or anoxaparin given. For example, 1 to 1.5 milligrams is given per 100 USP units of heparin, and 1 milligram is given per milligram of anoxaparin. These amounts are further adjusted based on the time since taking the anticoagulation. This can be tricky to figure out if you don't know a patient's exact dose or when they took it last, but given that heparin and anoxaparin are usually given in monitor settings, it's worth a look at their medical records. That's when we wish we all had those amazing ED pharmacies. Okay, so now that we have gone over the coagulation cascade, anticoagulation agents, clinical indications for reversal, and the reversal agents themselves, which patients do we keep and which ones can we send home, Joe? So the most important thing to remember is that while these decisions are clinically made at the bedside, as a general rule, patients that need to be reversed, either due to life-threatening bleeding or with bleeding that requires reversal for indications previously mentioned, these patients really should be admitted to the hospital. Right. I mean, it's pretty obvious that we're not sending anybody home with life-threatening bleeding, but I'd be super careful even with those patients with subacute bleeds on anticoagulation. Besides managing the major insult, when reversing a patient, it is very important to reassess clinically and if indicated via labs and imaging, reassessing them constantly as these patients may need to be redosed with reversal agents. As with all things EM, always remember, ABCs first. Bleeding can always lead to an airway emergency. And don't forget reliable access with at least two large bore peripheral IVs. Consider a central cordis at compressible site as well. And don't underestimate our less fancy techniques for managing bleeding, such as direct pressure at bleeding sites and tourniquets. Not to make things more complicated, but remember, you may also have to manage other comorbid bleeding conditions, such as uremia and concomitant platelet disorders. We're not even going down this route today, but TXA sometimes has a role as well in controlling bleeding. Great. So that was a lot. Ready to do some take-home points? Here we go. I'll start us off. One, try and remember a general overview and main steps along the coagulation cascade. The cascade wants to convert prothrombin, factor 2, to thrombin, factor 2a, so that thrombin can then convert fibrinogen, factor 1, to fibrin, factor 1a, for that stable clot. There are both oral and parenteral AC agents in use, and each of these acts on a different stage in the coagulation cascade. Number three, 
there are three main indications for anticoagulation reversal, life-threatening bleeding, bleeding at critical sites, and need for emergent surgeries. We use vitamin K plus PCC for warfarin, and Dexanet for the Zabans, Idarucizumab for Dabigatran, 4-factor PCC for Fondaparinux, and finally, pronamine sulfate for heparin and anoxaparin. Number four, and lastly, remember the basics of bleeding, airway management, reliable access, stopping the bleed, and resuscitation. Great. Well, that's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at 4 underscore EM and visit us on our website, 4 Thanks for listening and stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.